welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. Uh, this week, um, I'm doing an interview with Stephen Chin from JFrog. Stephen, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure. So um, I run the developer relations team at JFrog. Um, I also really well know the Java community and um, I'm super excited about being on your um, podcast. Awesome. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So JFrog, do you want to just uh, explain a little bit? I've looked a little bit at like, uh, I think it's Artifactory. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so our Artifactory is our core offering. It's a binary binary um, repository for um, modules, for containers, for um, different sort of artifact types which you want to store in your DevOps workflow. Right. Um, and we have a larger platform. So we have a CI CD solution called Pipelines. We have a security solution called X-Ray. We have yeah. distribution, authentication, all of the, the usual things you need for building a larger DevOps pipeline. Awesome. Nice to meet you too, Troy. You too. All right. Well, yeah. Um, so do we want to dive in and talk about Artifactory or do we want to talk about some of the other offerings you have or just talk about JFrog in general and kind of cover all of it? Yeah, so um, there's, I think there's a couple things which are interesting to talk about in general. So, at, I mean, Troy mentioned this a little bit, but I run the... Um, community outreach developer relations mm -hmm. from JFrog side. And I, I think we've had um, a couple big um, announcements of things which have come out, which are particularly relevant for, um, for the larger DevOps and developer community. Okay. Um, one of them is our um, Go Center, which is a public repository for um, for any Go developers to, to store their modules. Um, it, it can act as a proxy for your Go code, so it can be used to look up dependencies and it has a lot of good information on um, dependencies between um, different modules, security, um, security issues on different modules, and then it lets you do searches and find information about um, different Go modules. And we I think we're in the process of, of also introducing some advanced searches, which lets you search on things like, you know, the, the number of stars in the GitHub repo or the popularity of projects or other stuff. If you're trying to figure out which, which modules are the right ones to, to pick up for your project. Right. Um, so that's one thing which I think is interesting and it's, it's freely available to anybody who wants to use it as a public repository. It automatically builds the, um, the Go modules and then lets you just um, link them up as dependencies in your project. And the, the second thing which we announced a couple of weeks ago is the JFrog container registry. So um, this is a free version of Artifactory, which um, specifically lets you store um, Docker images and Helm charts. Um, and it's a great way for folks to, um, to kick off their cloud native workflows using, um, Artifactory or the JFrog container registry as, um, a single source of truth for all of their container images. Mm -hmm. Um, so it acts as a normal, um, you know, Docker registry, you can push and pull images from it. 
um, gives you advanced metadata, so you can um, you can see information about the how the build and how the build was run, the version of it, the dependencies. It'll actually go into the the Docker image and it'll peel it apart and it'll tell you um, what Debian or RPM bundles are installed in the operating system. Um, for any applications installed, it'll open the the WARS or the JARS or other modules you have for Python or for Node.js or other languages. Um, and it'll look at the dependencies of those and tell you if you have any security vulnerabilities or, or issues. And I think one of the one of the challenges with um, maintaining um, good Docker images and doing deployments is that the the moment you create a Docker image, you're guaranteed to have hundreds of vulnerabilities within a couple of weeks of just letting it sit there. There's, there's so many, if you think about it, you have so many packages installed on the Linux side, your own application depends on all these third-party dependencies. So um, you could, you can just, you can just scan existing production artifacts and you find so many security vulnerabilities, which um, are usually easy fixes, right? Just upgrade the, upgrade the package you're depending upon or upgrade the dependency. Um, but if you're not keeping track of it, it can be quite hard to, um, to keep your, keep your production with as few security vulnerabilities as possible. Right. That makes sense. Um, so I think those, those two in particular are good things to talk about. So our, our, our centers, which are really community focused and also the JFrog container registry, which is a new, a new free offering. Um, the, the other big product announcement we've had in in the past few months is JFrog Pipelines, which is a continuous integration, continuous delivery solution. Um, it's it's something which I think a lot of a lot of our customers are super excited about because they they have kind of somewhat crafty Jenkins builds, which yep. they made for for what seems like decades. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I think as folks have, have migrated to, to cloud native workflows and they're doing Kubernetes deployments and they're they're moving like container images around between dev, QA, and production. Um, doing that stuff with a with a traditional CI CD server, it works, but it's it's not really what it was designed to do. Right. Um, the JFrog pipelines gives you a nice um, visual look into your build pipeline. It allows you to do trigger-based rules, so you can say, you know, like when when a new artifact gets created or when something um, you know passes um, different stages in the pipeline, then you want to promote it um, and move it around. And I think I think um, for for a lot of what people are doing with um, with modern DevOps workflows, it's it's a much better tool suited for for the needs. Yep, makes sense. Yeah, so I think those those are kind of the big the big announcements for from our side. But I guess the general question for you is: um, you you're doing a lot of podcasts with you know different industry leaders and folks who are driving the DevOps space. So what what do you see as the as the big trends that um, emerged in 2019, and you think are going to be um, pushing the industry forward next year in 2020? Yeah, um, the thing that I keep hearing most about i think from people is just security seems to be a really really big issue and you know as you kind of pointed out you get an old package in there you know whether it's a debian package or an rpm package or something like that um in the you know that runs on top of the operating system or it's an npm package or a ruby gem or something like that mm -hmm. in the, the application you're building 
yeah, you wind up with these uh, security vulnerabilities that you, you, you know, you didn't even think about when you installed it because nobody knew about it. And now you're dealing with, okay, you know, I've got to, I've got to deal with this thing, you know, or you find out about it because somebody else has it taken advantage of or something like that, you know? So that's one area. I don't know. I mean, there's so much going on. Some of it just comes down to um, understanding which tool is the right one for the right place, you know, because we have like serverless and we have uh, Kubernetes. A lot of people are still uh, deploying to VPSs. um, And sometimes any of those are the answer and it just depends on where you're at. And so a lot of people are just trying to decide how do I manage all of this infrastructure and understand how everything kind of hangs together for an application. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, well, one thing in general, which, um, we've, we've seen a lot of our customers, but I think in general, the, the, a lot of companies focused on is, um, so, you know, the cloud has emerged and there, there's really three dominant players who, who have come out of top, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. But um, it, it, it used to be, it, you know, when you move to the cloud, it was okay to just be, you know, move all your stuff to Amazon's workloads, then be locked in on their platform and start picking up features like Lambda, right. serverless, or other stuff like that. And I think increasingly companies are trying to figure out how to build strategies which um, allow them to migrate uh, between clouds. So either a multi-cloud strategy where they can deploy the multiple clouds simultaneously or some way which they can keep themselves lightly tethered to the cloud. Right. Second one is there's, I think companies are also realizing there's certain types of um, services and information which just, they, they need to keep it on-premise, right? They can't, mm-hmm. they, they need some hybrid strategy where they can manage um, sensitive data. Um, they can keep things which they need to have finer grain control over which they have like um, legacy systems tied into on-premise and then tie that in cleanly with a, a cloud workflow. Um, and one of the one of the good things about all of the offerings which we have is they're they're all hybrid and multi-cloud. So you can you can use exactly the same the same tooling, um, the same pipelines, the same integration, and it works the same whether you're using it on um, on top of AWS or on top of Azure also works the same when you're using it in-house and you can, you can set up workflows where you're actually using the same server across multiple clouds and replicating across multiple clouds with high availability, um, or you're doing it between, um, between the cloud and your, your on-premise, um, um, data center. So I think that's something which a lot of companies are trying to figure out is how they can effectively decouple themselves from being locked into a single cloud. Um, and, and taking serverless as an example, this, this is why um, open source or like hosting yourself serverless is, is quite, quite interesting for a lot of companies because you don't, you don't want to get locked in where you're, you're just you know, stuck on lambdas or stuck on uh, GCP functions or you're, you're locked into a single um, vendor implementation. And I think in general, like if you, if you use a, an open source solution, and there's, there's a bunch of them which allow you to do your serverless entirely with an open source platform and then um, host it on your cloud infrastructure of choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, FN Project is one example of this. Like Kubeless is another one. There, there's a bunch of different projects you can use which allow you to take get the advantages of serverless 
um, without being locked in. Um, OpenFAS is another one without being locked into a specific um, cloud provider. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard a few people talking through some of those issues. A lot of folks I talk to, though, they just kind of whole hog embrace one and go for it. But it, it seems like a lot of the bigger players, they want the flexibility of choosing which cloud they go to or failing over to one cloud if another one, for whatever reason, has a region go down or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think Kubernetes gives you a lot of capabilities to, to do everything you want to on cloud infrastructure, on hosted infrastructure, while maintaining control over your environments, right? You create the image, you set everything up exactly the way you want it to, and that's just a deployment target. I want to shoot up to Azure, I want to shoot up to um, Amazon. You can, you can choose wherever you want to deploy to. Yep, makes sense. Um, yeah, and getting back to security, we talked about it a little bit, but um, there, there are some really classic fail scenarios if you, if you don't do a good job updating your security vulnerabilities. So, I mean, this, this made the headlines, but I think Equifax is the classic example of yeah. uh, what happens if you don't update your libraries. And it, it, was, it was as simple as um, they were using an outdated version of um, Struts, mm -hmm. which had a security vulnerability and one that was actually already known and patched. Yep. Um, but between identifying the security vulnerability, which took a couple months, and then patching and deploying to production, which also took a couple months, um, it was almost four months where this security vulnerability was exploitable in the wild. Mm -hmm. And you know, th these are the sort of things which can destroy your company if you don't. Oh yeah. Actually, take take advantage of them. And the problem is that as as security vulnerabilities have um, get more visibility, right? There's more research companies which are looking into security vulnerabilities on mobile and embedded. Um, you know, Apple has their bug bounty, and people are constantly looking for um, identifying and also patching security vulnerabilities. You can't you can't wait months to patch a security vulnerability. Right. You probably can't even wait weeks. You have to be able to, you know, within days respond to and patch critical security vulnerabilities. Right. Uh, have you ever felt like JavaScript is just everywhere? Well, we have. We actually had a conversation on JavaScript Jabber about what you can build with JavaScript. We've also talked about what JavaScript is and how we're inspired by the language. If you're interested in JavaScript or doing web development, then you definitely need to check out JavaScript Jabber. You can find it at javascriptjabber.com. So how do your tools then allow people to, you know, to catch on to that and then to, you know, to, to fix those? I mean, and for people who aren't using JFrog, or, or one of your tools, you know, how do they expect to do it? Yeah, so I mean, there's there's a, a general class of tools which does a good job of solving this problem. Um, so you know, we offer solutions; other vendors offer solutions. But basically, um, what 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 tools like ours do is they um, they match your dependencies with checksums against okay. a known vulnerability database. So in our case, we use VulnDB from Risk Based Security. And um, whenever a new vulnerability comes out, you get alerted that um, either your code or a dependency of your code or a, um, an installed Linux package on one of your Docker images um, is vulnerable to a, um, to a new security exploit. And then you have, the, you have some remediation steps where they're recommended. So um, it might be like, you know, here's a patch or, you know, upgrade to this version, which resolves the issue. And so if, if you have a security team and if the 
Um, if your production system is checked into a binary repository like Artifactory, then they're alerted whenever a security vulnerability which affects your production systems comes up. And that allows you to take the, the quickest action to remediate the situation. It could be, you know, doing a patch in production, doing mm -hmm. a deployment which addresses the issue, you know, possibly like plugging, plugging up a firewall or another security issue which would prevent somebody from exploiting it. Um, so this allows you to respond as quickly as possible when a new security vulnerability comes up. Right. Yeah, it, it does sound like, though, with JFrog, uh, one of the things you're doing is you're kind of building... I mean, you've you've named one of your projects pipeline, and essentially that's what people are looking for, right? Is what's kind of the ideal pipeline for us with the applications we're building and the problems we're solving? And, you know, how do we manage that pipeline? And so I, I guess that's a question that I have for you is just, yeah, what do you envision with all these different tools that are available as sort of an ideal pipeline for a company to follow so that they can manage their operation stack in a sane way? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. So I think... Um, DevOps and the types of tools which which people use to address um, the, the business needs have changed quite a bit. So, um, you know, I think back, you know, 10 years ago when DevOps was first coined as a term by Patrick Dubois, um, it, it was really about um, processes and people mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to, how to get the existing operations folks and the developers actually communicating and um, through that process, coming up with ways to, to automate and continuously improve, applying a lot of the agile methodologies and agile processes to um, this, this synergy between development and operations. And um, a lot of the early DevOps tooling was um, developers or operations folks just kind of looking at what they had and saying, well, hey, we have this, we have this CI/CD server, maybe Jenkins or whatever it was. And can we can we automate more of the things which we're doing manually to get software shipped to production um, rather than doing manual processes which are prone to break or prone to cause cause errors? And I think what's the, the what we fast forward to you know 2019 or 2020, and um, now you have a small team of highly specialized skilled DevOps engineers which are supporting dozens or hundreds of teams around the company to try to create a, a standard um, infrastructure, automation, and pipelines, which will enable those teams to successfully deploy continuously, um, make sure that they actually have a streamlined flow from development through testing, through staging, through production, um, and doing that in a way which, which you can support the needs of a large group of um, developers working on different types of problems, solving different um, challenges in different business domains. So I think when you're, when you're, when you're looking at a tool set in, um, in a modern corporate culture, it really has to be something which is highly flexible. So it has to solve this, this range of problems, no matter what language you're using, no matter what technologies you're using, it could be you're supporting a Java team, you're supporting a Python team, you're supporting a Node.js project, you're supporting Ruby developers. It has to is to cover that gamut of like different technologies that folks are using. It has to give you a single source of truth. So if you're if you're trying to maintain and manage a large set of projects, if you if you don't know exactly what the state of your system is, if you don't have all of your um, 
your build artifacts, the information about like what was built, how it was built, stored in a single place, then um, then you can't effectively manage the system when something goes wrong. When something goes wrong, you need to troubleshoot this this production version that we just shipped. You know, version seven hundred thirty one. What was that built with? We have some dependency. We have some something which was you know some build flag which was triggered, um, and that's that's really our core strength is um, artifactory services that single source of truth for the DevOps pipeline. Right. Um, and I think as we were talking about earlier, um, you, you also need to account for security. If you're not building security into your DevOps pipeline and your workflow, then um, when when a problem arises in production or when you have a security issue, your your security team, your um, architecture board, they, they need the right introspection, the right tools, so they can actually um, analyze and figure out what the, the risk is, what the security vulnerabilities are of anything you're going to put in production. Um, so I think if you're looking at that, if you're looking at you know a strategy which is um, multi, multi-language, multi-platform, um, something which provides you that single source of truth so you can debug and you can like work through your system, and then if you're keeping in mind what you need to solve for security challenges or like how you're actually doing remediation strategies, um, then that's that's most of the equation. And, you know, there's a variety of different tools and, and um, you know, ways which you can approach the problem. But I think something which, um, you know, is, is good about tool, tool vendors like us um, is that we can provide solutions which span different clouds and then also solve your problem on, on premise as well. Um, so companies like JFrog or other DevOps tooling companies uh, can help help companies solve that challenge without right. locking it to particular infrastructure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one thing that you've mentioned a couple times is just you know running a hybrid where some of it runs on prem and some of it runs in the cloud. One thing that I'm I'm a little curious about is that some of it also you know falls under certain regulatory things. And so when we're talking about we're not necessarily talking about security in some sense, I guess we are, but usually it's uh, data at rest or, you know, different levels of encryption or access or things like that that are mandated by things like HIPAA or whatever the financial one that I can't remember the name of right now. But, you know, if you have certain types of data that have to have that kind of check run, but it's not necessarily going to come up as a package vulnerability. It's going to come up as a, you're not managing this correctly. Do you, do you have options for that as well? So we also can do checking against, um, for example, open source licenses or different different constraints you might have from an architecture standpoint okay. on the type of dependencies you use. Those those typically come up when you do audits, like what, what's required for HIPAA. Right. And um, yeah, I think the other big part of that is making sure that the infrastructure you're running on meets all the regular regulatory requirements for data at rest, for which countries data stored at. Um, GPRC puts a lot of limitations on like, like for personal data, um, your ability to transport it between different countries. So I think um, this is something which if you're, if you're storing in the cloud, you need to make sure your cloud service um, is compliant um, with the regulations. And similarly, if you're doing it on premise that the data centers you're storing in, how you're, um, how your environments are set up actually is compliant with the regulations, but we can provide some level of um, security scanning, uh, which will tell you about you know licensing requirements which you might have on third-party dependencies, 
And also, as we talked about earlier, identifying security vulnerabilities, which you need to patch in different regions. Right. So what point should I be looking for a solution like what we're talking about here? Because it seems like, you know, early on, a lot of times, at least for me, I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. And I kind of throw things together. And then once I have something working, then I start looking at, okay, I want to get this deployed. I want to get, you know, and so then I'm looking for a solution like JFrog, where it's going to build the Docker containers and it's going to do some of the other work that I need done to make sure that, you know, it's meeting the requirements that I have and that I don't have security vulnerabilities. Is this something you want to pull in right away? Or is this something you can kind of wait until it's like, okay, I have a certain yeah, so level of need? This is, this is part of the reason why we, um, we introduced a free container registry. Uh -huh. and we also have Artifactory OSS, which is a free solution for um, specifically for Java developers. But um, if, if you're getting started with a new cloud-native workflow, um, you're just building a new Kubernetes app, so you can immediately drop in JFrog Container Registry to as your um, Docker repo. Mm -hmm. And right from the get-go, you get all that rich metadata. You can store your images. You can do a lot of this stuff. Um, we're going to introduce some, some light security scanning as well in the free offering. So you start getting some information on security vulnerabilities. And um, so this, this is something that you can get started from just from day one when you're setting up your Kubernetes workflow. And then, you know, if you have more advanced requirements, like you need, you know, full security scanning that X-Ray offers, or you want pipelines, or you want distribution, or you want all these other advanced features, um, those are available as well. But I would say for small teams and small projects, um, our free offerings are really all you need to get started with and to deploy to production at the beginning. So you don't need to buy a lot of expensive commercial tools. You don't, don't need to invest a lot. Because um, until until you have that explosive growth where you have you know tens of thousands of users and you need highly available servers and you need all this large infrastructure, really the best the, the most important thing is to have infrastructure which helps you be productive um, as a team and also which helps you to um, to identify any issues in production and trace them back to the source because that's that's really what you're doing is. Um, when you have an issue in production, you've deployed something, you're trying to troubleshoot, like I have this performance issue, um, I have some downtime or I have some security issues, trying to trace back exactly what was deployed in production and like what composed that build. Um, that's what the JFrog Container Registry and also Artifactory accomplish. That makes sense. About 10 months before we started Ruby Rogues, which is the oldest podcast on devchat.tv, I went freelance. And one of the things that I figured out pretty fast is that I had no idea what I was doing. And I made a bunch of mistakes, but I also made a bunch of friends who were doing freelance and we got together and we started a podcast called The Freelancer Show. And The Freelancer Show has been running about as long as JavaScript Jabber, but we talk every week about all of the things that we were learning and doing in freelancing and giving people advice on how to get their business started so that they could go out and be independent if that's what they wanted. Nowadays, I'm not on the show anymore, but we have terrific people like Riven Lerner and Eric Dietrich that come on every week and talk to you about how they run their businesses and give other perspectives on things that you can do. So whether it's how to find clients or whether it's how to step in and start doing training or other programs or how to run a business, they have a ton of experience and they talk about all kinds of things that are going to help you pull things together and be successful as a freelancer. So whether you're thinking about moonlighting and trying it out or whether you're going whole hog and quitting your job, you should definitely check out The Freelancer Show and you can find that at freelancershow.com.
So, uh, I mean, what's the most common use case? You know, what collection of tools and setup do people generally wind up um, settling into on JFrog? I mean, the, the typical case for, for small teams getting started is they'll have some free or almost free um, continuous builds. So it could be Jenkins, um, could be a bunch of other CICD vendors. Typically, they'll, they'll run the build and then they'll store the output of the build in um, either Artifactory or the JFrog container registry for containers. Um, and that basic setup, like a CICD server plus Artifactory, does... 90% of what you need to do to get started with DevOps and cloud native development. Um, and then I think as you, as you grow and as you, um, you start to care about security and other stuff, it scales up with you. But, um, you know, just for getting a basic workflow where you can, um, deploy artifacts to a Kubernetes cluster, you can, um, develop quickly and you can trace back production issues that, that gets you started pretty easily. Right. So what kind of feedback then does it give you? as a DevOps person, or is this mostly just automated? Oh, there's a security issue. Um, you know, we, we're fixing it. Is that the kind of notification you're going to get? Or is it going to ask you first or? Yeah. So typically the, the way it would, um, the way people would integrate with their build is um, one thing you could do is you could set it up so that when you, when you um, run your continuous builds, it would throw either a warning or actually, you know, fail your build if there's a security mm -hmm. issue. So, um, like, like in the example, let's say, let's say I added a new dependency to my, to my project, it pulls in some library, which has a, a you know, security vulnerability, or uh, maybe it's an outdated version. It could immediately, you know, fail the build, kick it back and say, Hey, you know, update this library before you, um, before you continue. Um, and then if you, if you want to inspect what's going on in production or like what the deployed artifacts are, there's a, a whole management UI where you can dig in and you can see like, you know, for this container image, what are the security vulnerabilities? And you can do the opposite too. You can, you can take a specific known vulnerability and you can find all the artifacts that are stored, which, which have this issue. So it might be that this issue only exists in, um, you know, maybe stage and QA and hasn't made it to production yet. And then you could, you could catch the error before it actually um, gets before it gets promoted into a production issue. Right. I guess uh, we've talked a lot about things like Kubernetes and those kinds of artifacts that, you know, are going to be created. What about like mobile apps or desktop apps where, you know, you have an installer or, you know, some kind of uh, program that runs on a computer or a, a mobile phone? Yeah. So um, in general, there's, there's 27 different package types, which Artifactory knows about and knows how to rip apart and support directly. Um, if you check in any of the, the language, the language modules um, for, you know, could be C sharp if you're doing um, mobile development. Um, it could be um, JavaScript or Node.js. It could be Java, Go, Ruby. If you ch check in any actual like language, language um, wrapped objects, it can understand those and take those apart. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple package formats it understands as well. Like we mentioned some of the, um, the installer types. So Debian, RPM, um, Docker images, et cetera. And then for anything, which is a, like a wrapped bundle where, um, Artifactory can't directly introspect it, you can output something called build info. So a build info file, 
from your build system. And as long as you list the dependencies which are inside of that artifact type, then it will use that information to do all of the, um, the dependency analysis. So it'll scan dependencies from there. And it can also use that for security scanning. Um, so for example, if you had a, like an awkward artifact type with let's say the, um, those AMI, I think the Amazon, Amazon um, bundles or yeah. um, machine images, um, then if you check in the build info file next to your AMIs, then we know exactly what's in your AMI file directly from your build system. I got you. The same thing, the same thing would apply like if you want to directly, for some reason, you want to directly check in like a like a mobile bundle or some other package type, which we don't know how to rip apart. You can check in a build info right beside right. that. Um, or you could, you know, unpackage it one layer and then we can look at everything. Yeah, that makes sense. So then if you have like a dot app or a dot, well, yeah, and then you built it with React Native, then you can essentially hand off the package.json or something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, that's really cool. So I think in general, the, the type of stuff we do for binary repositories, it's, um, it's, it's becoming one of the, uh, one of the table stakes of, of any DevOps workflow. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you see this, right? Because, um, the cloud services are also coming up with their own binary repositories and there's a bunch of other container registries as well, besides Artifactory and our JFrog container registry. But I think that just reinforces the need for, um, DevOps engineers to, to look at a binary repository, either ours or, um, one of the others out there as part of their standard workflow. Yeah. So, yeah. So if somebody wants to get started, they can just get started with, the. Uh... The Docker repos, they can get started with, you know, some of these other free offerings and then just kind of move in from there. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for anyone doing Kubernetes development, the JFrog container registry is a great place to start. It's entirely free for as many repos, as much network traffic you want to use. Um, no restrictions on deploying to production. So it's entirely free. Um, we also have a cloud-based offering for the same. So um, you can spin it up on Amazon, Azure, or um, Google Cloud. And again, we have a free tier for that as well. So you can get started without any cost. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, going down the pipe, we, of course, we have um, commercial offerings. So Artifactory has all the capabilities of the JFrog Container Registry, plus it supports uh, 27 different package types. Um, Artifactory Pro X adds an X-ray, and then we have our new pipelines offering, which I think it's limited has limited availability right now, but it will be um, included with Artifactory starting. We'll have it in our pricing plan starting in January. Yep. Good deal. Is there anything else that we should jump on and talk about here while we're chatting? Wait, wait, thanks for having me. I think you covered most of, <laughs> most of everything and uh, gave a good overview, so uh, I'm good from our end. All right, good deal. The way we wrap up the shows is with picks. So it's essentially just a shout out about anything you've been enjoying or doing lately. So you have a favorite accessory for like the Raspberry Pi or something like that or Okay. Well, this all right, this is this is somewhat somewhat work related, but that's fine. Um, one of my hobbies is um just like just like you're doing a podcast. I, I do video interviews at conferences with folks. Mm -hmm. And so um, recently, actually just at, just at KubeCon, we launched, we launched this thing called the um, DevOps Speakeasy. Okay. 
And, and basically what we do is, um, so we're, we're speakeasy themed. So Baruch, um, myself and Cap Cosgrove, our, our newest developer advocate, we all we all dress up with 1920 to 1930s like um, um, steampunk type clothes. Uh-huh. Um, we drag random speakers from a conference on on camera with us, um, and we just we just interview them right there um, in front of a live audience. So nice. um, I, I I'd say that's that's my that's my pick for um, good good fun if. If you're hanging out on social media or you're looking for something to um, to learn about stuff, but also in a, in a fun and lighthearted way. That does sound fun. Did you just do that at the JFrog booth? or? Yeah, so um, we, we did the initial pilot at JokerConf in Russia, and they set us up a little area for the interviews with mm-hmm. some speakers and an audience area. Um, at QCon, we, we stole half the JFrog booth and just took it over. Nice. So um, yeah, that was that was fun. Yeah, we'll have to get a link in the show notes for that so people can go watch them. So that yep. sounds like fun. Um, I'm gonna jump in with a few picks as well. So um, the first pick I have, I, I published a book on Amazon a couple weeks ago, and uh, today as we're recording this, so you know, obviously, whenever this gets published, the book is now out on paperback. So you can order a paperback off Amazon. Yeah, congratulations. Well, thanks. That's the Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. I know it's a mouthful, but I'm going to write a series and they're all going to be the Max Coder's Guide to something. Um, And uh, yeah, so that was the first one. And uh, yeah, so if you're out there looking for a job, you can go pick it up. All right. So I'm going to put you on the spot because as as a now famous author, you get to share one tip for us on how to find our dream job. So I start out, uh, the first chapter gives you three steps that are going to make it easier. And so I'll just throw those at you. The first one is to go find a user's group in your area, if at all possible. Um, the reason is, is because it's much easier to get a job if you know people that work at the company. And yeah. so if you're trying to find a job that's local to you, then the, the people who are really, truly passionate are showing up to those. Um, the other one is, is to make sure your resume is up to date. And that's not to say that you're going to take that up-to-date resume and pass it around. Please don't. That's what the rest of the book's about. But it does give you a starting off point. And then if somebody says, hey, can you send me your resume? Then you can go do a little bit of homework on the company, tailor your resume to them without having to go in and actually do all the updating. So you can get it to them relatively quickly. And then the last one is, is to have a side project and put it up on GitHub. And the reason for that is essentially so that you can show people that you're an ongoing yeah. earner and they can see where you're at pretty quickly. And uh, those, I, those, are all, those are all totally spot on. Um, actually, one of, one of the challenges with, with you know, hiring people is if, if people don't have something public where it's their code and their work like online in a GitHub repo, um, it's, it's, it's almost a competitive disadvantage because um, you, can't, you can't see proprietary code, right? Right. Why would you? Why would you? Why would you hire somebody who you've never actually seen something they've written? Yep. Um, and the user group one, I'm, I'm down with as well. Actually, I run a, a little uh, boutique JavaFX user group as well in the Bay Area. So. Oh, there you go. Nice. Yeah. The rest of it is essentially don't send your resume everywhere. Uh, f- figure out what kind of company you want to work for, and there's a whole process for that. It's it's relatively simple, but yeah, you you figure out what kind of company you want to work for. 
you start doing your homework to figure out what companies meet that criteria. And there are ways to do that as well mm-hmm. um, on the internet. And then you go out of your way to meet people who work at the company and you network your way in. Yeah, no, no. I mean, the best way to get a job is by the folks just inviting you in because they yep. want to work with you. Yep, exactly. So that's, that's a really good, that's really good advice. Okay. I hope that it does well for you. Yeah, me too. Uh, the other pick I have, so I just set this up on devchat.tv today, is uh, buy me a coffee. So I've had some people asking how they can support the podcasts. Um, and that's a good way to do it. If you go in, uh, select the option to donate monthly. You can donate one, three or $5 a month. And, you know, so it's not a lot. I'm not really asking for a lot. I just have people basically wanting to say thank you in more than just an email. So, yeah, that's how you can do that. It helps us, you know, pay to keep the shows running and things like that. So cool. Okay. And I'll toss in one more pick. Um, since we're on the topic of book writing. Yeah. Um, I, I just released a book myself called the, um, the definitive guide to modern client developments with JavaFX. Oh, cool. Um, so that's my, my little side hobby is, um, hacking and, you know, doing cool, doing cool in particular UI stuff and embedded development. Nice. I may have to pick your brain and see who we should get on the Java podcast. That's one that I want to start soonish. So yeah, no, no, I, I can definitely recommend some folks for you. Cool. All right. Well, if people want to find you online on social media on GitHub, where do they go? Yeah. So for all of those, just Steve on Java, um, all smashed together, and that's my Twitter, GitHub, LinkedIn, pretty much everything. Uh, just Steve S T E V E on Java. Good deal. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, Thanks for chatting with me for 45 minutes. Yep. This is awesome. So, um, yep. Thanks very much. All right. Well, we'll wrap that up. Uh, Max out, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.